You're listening to a SodaCon Sessions by Effective, live from a SodaCon 2023. Welcome to this episode of Asodocon Sessions for Effective. I'm Michael Cirillo, sitting down with Alan Hag. Thanks so much for joining me here today. Thanks for having me, Michael. Okay, so I, I asked you the question, as I do most guests, what are you vibing on? And you said something about mergers and acquisitions. I got to get into this. When I see headlines like Asbury Auto Group, you know, dropping another few billion on a dealer group in Utah and then turning around and buying a new dealer group over here and over here, and I go... First of all, maybe I'm a simpleton and I can't comprehend billion. What are you seeing from your vantage point? What's happening right now? I think those deals are going to continue to happen. I think that the publicly traded auto retailers have discovered that their investors like growth and it's uh, difficult to grow an industry organically. So the way that larger retailers are growing is through acquisitions. And just about every dealership group now publicly traded is acquisitive right now we have a bidding war going on for a dealership group in the uk called pendragon oh where uh penske is bidding on it uh, lithia is bidding on it and now AutoNation has entered the bidding as well what is the implication of such large acquisition i mean it almost seems kind of like a russian nesting doll of you know small dealer group maybe one or two stores buys up two more becomes you know to get swallowed up by the slightly larger group swallowed up by the slightly larger group and then the publicly traded or maybe the larger privately owned but what's the in your uh opinion what's the larger implication of such large acquisitions on the industry as a whole well if we start at the beginning of it i think that the typical dealer today has about two stores. They're probably in the same town. One might be a Ford, one might be a Nissan, for instance. And I think that the larger groups are betting that their size is going to help them to outcompete smaller dealers. If you look at Lithia, they've got driveway.com. If you go online, sure. they have over 50,000 vehicles available for purchase there. They'll bring those vehicles to you for a fee. So the selection that Lithia can offer almost on a nationwide basis now it's far greater than any local dealer can offer. So if you're a dealer and you have one or two stores and you think you want to stay in this business a long time, you've got to start to be able to match that selection, at least on the local level. You don't have to compete nationally. Uh, There's a phrase that local scale is greater than national scale. So if you're a dealership group and you have 10 stores in a market, odds are you're going to have more vehicles available for sale locally than a national company will. So we see smaller dealers growing as well. It's not just national firms growing. Interesting. The majority of the M&A is private dealers buying other private dealers. Probably 80% or 90% of the rooftops that trade this year will be private to private dealer groups. Let's just say, for instance, and I won't mention any names, but if there's a guy whose name is Reichel Rarillo and he wanted to buy a dealership, what does he have to actually line? Like, what does he need to line his pockets with in order for uh, a private deal to happen. Dealerships have gotten expensive. Sure. I refer to dealerships as sticky assets. They're hard to get and they're hard to get rid of. Yeah. Uh, but in terms of capital, a dealership today might be selling for 20 million in goodwill. The real estate might be another 12 million. You might need another four or five million dollars in working capital. So you get up to $40 million pretty quick for a good store. Wow. Uh, there are other dealerships that are less expensive, you know, a Nissan store, a Mazda store. Those brands are typically less profitable and lower multiple for goodwill. 
that's a good starter store for somebody who's coming in. Perhaps they're an independent dealer and they want to get their first franchise dealership. Those are the kind of businesses that I would target for them. Interesting. If they're interested in becoming a franchise dealer. Do you see any uh, potential um, shift? Maybe, hey, you know what? The franchise thing, no, but uh, uh, maybe a surge of independence or uh, RV or any sorts of other, I guess, vertical aligned industries growing in the light of that? Or do you see a steady growth trajectory for franchise? I think the majority of auto dealers want to buy more auto dealerships. Uh, Lithia is experimenting now with buying non-auto dealerships. They're looking at power sports and heavy truck and RV, I believe. And I'm sure they'll be successful in that area. But I think the vast majority of their capitals can go back into auto retail. The If you look at a, a, a dealership statement for a car dealership, RV, heavy truck, power sports, they look identical. But the profit centers are all very different. You know, an automotive is pretty balanced. An RV, it's all on the sale of a new and heavy truck used to be all in the fixed. Now you can make a lot of money on the front end, too. Uh, So there's slightly different profit centers, although comparable business models. But I think most auto dealers are going to stick in their lane and buy more dealerships. And frankly, that's what I recommend. It's it's interesting. And I guess the reason I ask is because typically, historically, a lot of the narrative is always doom and gloom. Oh, this thing's happening in the industry. But I can't help but wonder, going back to my original question, well, if it's really that doom and gloom, why in the world are these these publicly traded groups trying to acquire more? They're obviously seeing something. And of course, we have dealers here that are saying, no, I'm, I'm going to be buying more dealerships over the next five, 10 years. What are they seeing that the narrative in general is not understanding? Dealerships are historically been an excellent investment. Um, the return on investment you get from a dealership exceeds almost any other asset class that I know of. Wow. I did a little research here. Uh, over the past year, the stock values of the publicly traded auto retailers have gone up 20% more than the S&P 500. So compared to most investments out there, auto retailers have outperformed. If you look wow. back over a 10 year period, the auto retailer stocks are trading 31% higher than if you invested in the S&P. So they're excellent investments, the, uh, the cash. Courtney, buy me some stocks today. In the-, <laughs> the return on investment for the publicly traded dealers has been very positive. And Whoa. so investors are seeing that and they're encouraging dealership groups to buy more dealerships. Is that the path to keep those numbers growing is just more, 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 more? or? Or do you see a point where they maybe plateau a little bit? Like what? what's the, I guess, the data set, year set trend? Or is that steady over how many years? So there are limits on how many dealerships the public companies can acquire. They all have framework agreements with the, with the OEMs, certain OEMs, Toyota, Mercedes, et cetera, that has limited their ability to grow as many as they want, for instance. But I think there's going to become a virtuous circle where the larger you get, the more opportunities you have for consumers, the more options you have for vehicles, mm-hmm. the more services you can provide to those customers, you can just afford to do them versus if I had one or two stores, I couldn't have pickup and delivery within a giant region, for instance. I might be able to do it within 10 miles of my store. And I think you also begin to attract and retain more talent. So for instance, if you go and join a larger organization, your ability for upward movement may be greater than if you went to a dealership group that has two stores. Mm. You know, the two general managers there and they're both in their 40s, odds of them leaving anytime are low. 
if you went to a, a Lithia that's growing quickly and you're a sales manager, they've got 400 locations. Right. The odds of an opening appearing in the next five years are extremely high. So I can see how larger retailers, if they can outcompete the smaller one in terms of providing better service to customers, better opportunities, more selection, more convenience, perhaps eventually lower pricing, then you start to attract and retain the best people. You have more options. Customers gravitate towards you. You can more easily retain those customers because you have a full selection of brands you can offer those customers when they're ready to trade. Yeah. Then the, I think the factories will see, hey, the sales performance of these larger groups could be better than independent dealers in the future. So far, it has not. Smaller dealers have been able to outcompete AutoNation or the other mega dealers. But if technology has the impact that I think many people believe it will, and it allows larger dealers to outcompete smaller dealers, then the factories are going to look around saying, hey, rather than putting up roadblocks for large dealers to own our dealerships, right, right. we're going to begin assisting them to own more of our dealerships. Uh, yeah. Uh, two questions. First one is, how in the world did you get into doing what you do? Second, kind of slight off-sided question there is, when are you going to turn your brain into AI? Because I have no idea how you can just, boom, know as much as you know about this industry. Uh, well, so I started my career doing investment banking. Okay. And uh, that job is all about money. You know, how sure. much are we going to raise? What's the interest rate going to be? What's our fee going to be? What's my bonus going to be? And that is a great way to learn about business, but it's a little bit boring in some ways. So when I got out of business school, I wanted to go join a real company that had operations and HR and real estate and IT and everything else. So I joined the Blockbuster family of businesses, Wayne Huizinga. Oh. And uh, we sold Blockbuster to Viacom and Wayne started AutoNation. So I took my little MBA hat and wrote a business plan for the new car company at AutoNation. They already had about 100 people working on the used car concept, which is basically like a CarMax. Yeah. And the board said, okay, that sounds good. Go buy dealerships. And I didn't know a single auto dealer. So they teamed me up with somebody from Southeast Toyota. And then eventually Mike Marooney uh, joined AutoNation. They teamed the two of us up and we were able to acquire quite a lot of stores. And since then, that's been my career. It's been a mix of auto retail and investment awesome. banking. And it's been a lot of fun. I would say that the best part of my job is being able to work with entrepreneurs and, and to serve them and their families. Wow. Because, you know, if you're working as a as a an employee of a dealership group, a large dealership group, it's a job and it's one job on the way to the next job. Right. But when you're working for an entrepreneur or someone who owns the business, it's their life's work. It matters tremendously to them. So we have had great success representing our clients and it's fun to bring them the offers and see them smile and see sure. their see their family smile. And at this point in the in the cycle where dealerships are worth twice as much as they were before the pandemic, the kind of offers that we're bringing to our clients are providing generational wealth to their families. Unreal. They're going to have a challenge of how do I invest that capital as opposed to going to work every day on the service drive. It delights me and enrages me at the same time because I'm like, Dad, why, Dad? You had to do phone books? <laughs> like you couldn't have bought a dealership? No, I'm kidding. Uh, Alan, this has been tremendous. I'm so glad that we got to share some time together. How can those listening or watching learn more about you and your company and, and uh, connect with you? Well, we issue a quarterly report called the Hague Report. It's available for free on our website. That tracks trends in auto retail and their impact on dealership values. And they can reach out to me directly at Alan, which is A-L-A-N, at HaguePartners.com. I love it. Alan Hague, thanks so much for joining me on Asodu Concessions. Thanks for having me.
Thank you for listening to this Asotukan session by Effective. If you want more content like this, you can check out our other podcasts. We have a daily show called The Automotive Troublemaker, Monday through Friday, here on podcasts, also live streamed on YouTube and LinkedIn and Facebook. We also have a long-form podcast called Auto Collabs. Auto Collabs. And if you just want to go a little deeper into this community, you should sign up for our regular email. We put our heart and soul into it. You can get it for free by going to asotu.com. We'll see you next time.